right, Jessica, if that doesn't get you going, nothing will. I want to say on behalf of Coors Brewing, welcome to Kansas Speedway, home of the greatest fans of NASCAR. And I got one question. Are you ready to go racing? All right, gentlemen, start your engines. All right, Engines Fired, another episode of the F-Speed Podcast. Ready to go, Dalton Mullinex, Tyler Head, with you as always. And we're just down to two races to go in the 2021 NASCAR season. And for the third week in a row, the story remains the exact same. Kyle Larson wins his ninth win on the season. He's already locked into the Final Four. This is just gravy at this point for him. Yeah. You know, you talked about it. I think we talked about it when he won a couple weeks ago at the Roval. You know, would he be able to get to double-digit wins? Mm-hmm. I said no. I, I didn't think. I mean, I thought, you know, obviously going a mile and a half, bread and butter for him. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, there's opportunity to win there. And then Martinsville, not his greatest track. And then, you know, he's solid at Phoenix. Um, but it's crazy. He's got two more shots to get to, to, get to double digits um, in the win column uh, this year. And, I mean, look, obviously if he wins the race in Phoenix, he's the champion. So there would be no bigger win in his career than that one. Um, but still, with two races to go, still a lot can happen. Yeah, and I know we talked about this last week when, um, you know, he already locked himself in the Final Four. It's like, okay, you know, are they going to go out there and win Kansas? Probably, because they're that good. Um, we also talked about if there's, a, if there's a situation where Chase Elliott can get in over him, is he going to move aside? Well, that didn't happen either. And I don't think Kyle Larson even had the best car out of the injured group on Sunday. I think, once again – similar to Texas, that went to William Byron. Uh, Byron's team ended up having a problem on pit road late in the race. Can't remember if it was speeding or a loose lug nut. Either way, he ended up having to restart way in the back towards the end of the race. That blew his chances of winning. Um, but even then, it seemed like maybe Elliott had a little bit faster car. But once Larson got out front, as we know, at these 550 tracks, you're probably not going to pass the leader. And he was able to hold him off and win the race. Yeah, I mean, I know we talked about that a little bit last week. Would you but you want your teammate that you know has great equipment, the defending team wanting to be at Phoenix. I mean, not really. Um, and, and, you know, there was some people I saw on Twitter, he should have let Chase win the race. And it's like, first off, no, you, your goal is to go out there and win. It's not to let your teammate get the win. Yeah. Um, been a points issue where he needed that spot. Maybe it's different, you know. Yeah. Um, but but it wasn't. So um, it's just amazing what that team's done this year. Yeah, and it ended up being that Chase Elliott didn't necessarily need to win this race. He's in a very good points position going to Martinsville. So, you know, um, it's not like Larson is keeping him out of the Final Four. There's a good chance he's going to make it anyway. Um, so if Larson did have the dilemma of should I help my teammate or should I not, that decision was pretty easy. Yeah, very. Um, but, yeah, no, uh, Kyle Larson, unbelievable season. We expected him to be really good this year once he finally got into Hendrick equipment. I don't know if we were expecting nine wins, 34 races into the season. He's also now officially beaten Jeff Gordon's laps led mark for a 36-race season with 2,397, which beats Jeff Gordon's 2,320. That took him 36 races to do. We still got, what, 812 more laps to go over the next two weeks. So Larson could completely shatter that record by the time everything's said and done in a couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been a dream season for him, you know, and, and the only way to really complete it is to, is to win in Phoenix. Yeah, 
and it kind of, and maybe we won't see this result until we get into next season, but, you know, how much better has Kyle Larson made the rest of the team? Obviously, Chase Elliott was already really good. He won the championship last year, and he's run very well this season, too. The, the win totals don't quite match up. But, um, man, William Byron's been great this season. Alex Bowman, as weird as his year has been, he's still won three races. So it's like, okay, you now have these two elite drivers and these two good drivers, um, but those elite drivers feel like they're really elevating the two good drivers to maybe becoming elite down the road. Well, and I think the key is there, that Byron, that Byron and, and Bowman not only learning from those guys, but I think that you, you know, you see them, you see your teammates going out there and winning race after race, and it pushes you. Yeah. Uh, and even like, you know, iron sharpens iron with Jason. Well, be the this could be a kind of situation for the next five to ten years. I hope that we can see these guys both high level and, you know, just battling back and forth with one another. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it happened on Sunday. But, you know, well, we didn't really have the speed um, that the other three had to win. And, and I thought, you know, I thought we were in a good position there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just, just when you build great race cars, you got talented drivers, good things can happen. And it's almost kind of funny going back to Byron, maybe having the fastest car once again on Sunday. It's kind of Byron. What Byron's doing right now is kind of reminding me what Kyle Larson was doing in his first couple of years at Ganassi, where he was just really, really fast, but he couldn't quite close the deal. And obviously Byron's won two races, but he could have a laundry list of more wins this year from how fast he's, uh, how fast the cars he's had at some of these tracks. He just hasn't quite figured out how to close. And it's ironic that Larson is now his teammate who could, I don't know, teach him how to do that give him the advice on how to do that to where you know in 2022 and 2023 maybe he's the one winning five to six races and being that serious championship threat right but all in all Hendrick Motorsports has had a ridiculously dominant season this could all be undone by the next gen car coming in next year but for what it is right now I'm enjoying it a lot mm-hmm. so um and it you know it felt like at the beginning of the playoffs that Joe Gibbs Racing, it kind of maybe looked like the better team overall, but now it's kind of shifted back to Hendrick Motorsports. And I think for a long time we talked about uh, it's come down two Hendrick guys, two Gibbs guys. And as of right now, it's kind of lining up to be that way. Yeah. Yeah, it very well could be. So let's run through the playoff drivers on Sunday and how they did. Obviously, Larson Elliott finished one, two. Um, for Elliott, that puts him in a really good position, like I mentioned a moment ago, going uh into martinsville and with larson winning the first two races of this round that means at least two guys are going to be getting in on points and as of right now chase elliott is plus 34 and i think i heard as long as he finishes above 15th no matter what happens in stage or anything like that if he can finish 15th or better he's going to make home he's going to make phoenix i want to keep saying homestead yeah it's still second year of it still doesn't seem right but yeah i mean what a swing of points for for him Mm -hmm. i mean i believe he came down what eight or nine points came into the race eight or nine points below the cut line and then I mean he basically it's a 40 point swing and obviously we'll get to the driver's had issues here in a second but you know it went from you know looking at a team that felt like it wasn't a must win but it felt like they're gonna have to probably win to get in just you know being below the cut line blah blah blah, to now it's like just don't screw up at Martinsville and, and you're gonna have a chance to defend your title 
And with that, if you're Chase Elliott in the nine team, do you want to be running up front and leading? Because that's where your greatest risk of getting in trouble, especially late in the race is if you're, you know, running in front of a Logano or Keselowski who has to win and they move you out of the way and you end up finishing 30th because you're wrecked, well, suddenly you're out. So, you know, and, and in this day and age of this style of playoffs, it's very rare that we have a scenario where somebody like Chase Elliott goes into a race and says, okay, just finish 15th or better and you're good. We, we don't really see that much anymore. Um, so I'm really interested to see how Chase Elliott and Alan Gustafson play this race on Sunday. Yeah. I mean, obviously you got to be smart about it, you know, and, and look big picture. Um, but I'm always a proponent of, you know, one of the things that always frustrates me with super speedway racing is, you know, you can hear we'll hang out and then try to get a good finish at the end of the day. My yeah. thing is like, age points you know because you're not guaranteed to finish you know high up there so obviously they're going to start I'm I'm assuming they're going to start outside of Larson on the pole they're going to start top eight definitely obviously um but you know and Chase runs well at Martinsville if you can get you know 10 to 15 stage points Mm -hmm. um in the two stages then all you have to probably finish at that point in time is 20th or 30th something like that so it, just go ahead and get it done early and then and then go for the win like yeah I, and i was gonna say yeah it, the more stage points you get the the farther that number falls and where you have to finish so yeah if he ends up getting a serviceable amount of stage points where okay now you only have to finish 22nd or something like that put yourself in the mix but if it gets too dicey and you feel like you're in a situation where you could get wrecked back out give somebody the spot and again i know that's goes against what this playoff format is going to is built to be but you're almost guaranteed to be in Phoenix at that point. Let somebody go. Get in the spot. It's okay. Yeah. You know, touching on this real quick about how the Larson and and Elliot kind of battle within the team or whatever, and would you want to advance it on? One of the the first things I thought of um, Sunday after the race was with Larson and his – in the five team forfeit the, the first pit stall at martinsville and give it to chase that's a and, that. and it's just i, I know we're, we're we're focusing on this past weekend's race that's just one of the things i thought of is like could that i mean we know how valuable that spot is could they potentially hand it off to hand it off to the the nine team and say here's your gift use it yeah yeah i feel like uh, that's a way of helping a teammate out without manipulating anything right like right. like pulling over and letting somebody pass you that yeah, that's a little bit blatant but it's saying okay right. we understand that giving you the first pit stall would help you out um throughout the course of the race we'll give that to you because again you know, i already locked in it serves it does not serve any benefit to us so and right. the pole sitter doesn't always pick the first pit stall like that's mm-hmm. kind of what we expect them to do but it doesn't always happen so you can even have this like a plausible deniability that they weren't trying to help the nine team out by doing this, that they right. won this other pit stall for whatever reason. So maybe it'll happen. Maybe it won't. I don't know. Yeah. That was just kind of a thought I had. No. And it's certainly plausible that it could happen. I didn't even think about that. Um, going down the list, finishing third highest playoff driver, uh, also third is third in the standings as of right now is Denny Hamlin at plus 32, two points behind chase, very similar situation. I think, what I think he has to finish like 12th or better with absolutely no stage points. So kind of a similar thing with Chase Elliott, you know, they're going to be starting up front. So they're most likely going to get points in the first stage. He's very good at Martinsville. So, you know, he has the ability to run up front. 
So get yourself some stage points. You know, if that means you got to finish 20th or better, somewhere to chase, all right, put yourself in the mix. But if it looks dicey and looks like you might get wrecked or, or finish bad, let somebody go and just, yeah. you know, ride and come away with a good finish. Yeah. I thought it was interesting um, when he got out of the car, he talked about how it was just a weird day. And I'm like, dude, you just finished <laughs> third and you're 30 plus points above the cut line. Take it and move on. But, um, you know, I think I, I think you just it's the, the pressure of the end of the season. I think, you know, you know, short track night racing this weekend, what it turns into. So yeah. it'd be and, interesting to see how it all comes. I think I understand where he's coming from with saying that because it felt like Joe Gibbs racing had really turned a corner at the mile and a half as we got closer to the playoffs. When the playoffs started, obviously, um, he won at Vegas a couple weeks ago and they just weren't, they just didn't have that speed. And, you know, he finished fine. They were running up at the front, but they weren't like that top three race winning speed that we've seen out of them. And again, not that that necessarily matters for the championship because the final two races are going to be run on 750 tracks. But I feel like Denny thought they were going to be running a little bit better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the last driver going in above the cut line and it's tight is going to be Kyle Busch at plus one. He had a rough day on Sunday. Uh, he ended up finishing in the 28th position after um, uh, hitting the wall and, and having some repeated issues there. But for as bad a day as he had to still go in plus one, you know, he's not thrilled about that because plus one may as well be minus one at that point. Um, but, you know, that just kind of shows how consistently they've been running in the playoffs and how good a season overall they've had to still have somewhat of an advantage going into uh, Martinsville. Yeah, I mean, he was just one of many playoff drivers that had issues um, on Sunday. And, you know, like you said, I mean, he's he's above the cut line for the time being, but may as well look at his – as being just behind and, and he even I thought it was interesting he's never a guy that really just seems to let the pressure get to him mm -hmm. but as soon as he got out of the car and they interviewed him basically said the same thing you know hey bad day but you're plus one he was like y'all see who's right behind me right y'all know how well Blaney runs it at Martinsville so yeah. it's just the first time I'd ever really not the first time but first time in a while I've heard him almost be like yeah we're in trouble and I, I, it makes me wonder if what kind of season they had last year contributes to that. Because yeah. forever, Kyle Busch has been this guy that consistently wins four to five races a year, is always in the mix for the championship. And then they have this season last year where they go almost the entire year without winning. They get eliminated from the playoffs early. And I don't know if it makes him second-guess himself or what. But when you even look at his two wins this year – he didn't have the best car at Kansas. Kyle Larson did. Late restarts, all that chaos. Bush ends up winning that race. Um, you know, he uh, the kind of similarly at at, Fien at Pocono in the second race, it looked like Byron was going to win that race. He has to pit late, hands the lead to Kyle Bush there. And again, you have to be running up front to be in that position, but he was never the, oh, this car's dominant, he's going to win the race. And he's never shown that over the course of the entire season. He's run well. Um, but I wonder if just what's happened over the last year and a half has really hurt his confidence like man because he's one of the most talented drivers to ever race in the cup series so if i ever had to hand you know if i ever had to put a driver in situations like go out there and win at whatever racetrack is coming up next kyle Lar or kyle bush i have a lot of confidence he could be able to do that but yeah i'm wondering if he's lost that confidence in himself recently yeah well and that's the thing is i mean confidence is key i mean you i mean Look at what happened to Jimmy at the end of his career. Mm -hmm. 
get to the point where you don't win as much as you're used to and you just you start to think well will i ever win again you know um and obviously kyle bush is, is still way too talented he drives way too good of cars to to start thinking that way but i bet it would be easy to just fall into this mindset of man may not win anymore this year you know it just it, it'd be difficult but um but yeah i mean he had a had a rough race on on sunday but salvaged a, a points lead going into the the final race of this round yeah and for all these drivers him included and the other guys below the cut line all four of these guys are ridiculously good at martinsville they all have wins there with the exception of blaney blaney's led a lot of laps there and as you mentioned kyle bush said look blaney's really good at martinsville so i'm obviously worried about that um and, you know, it, it's such a unique situation that we haven't really had in the playoffs or this style of playoffs, at least, where only one driver is locked into Phoenix or locked into the championship race when we get to the next to last race. So, again, Elliott and Hamlin, it's like, OK, you know, we're, we're good on points. As long as we don't mess up, we should be fine. Now you got five drivers racing for one spot here. Yeah, yeah. It, I, I, it, it, all, all of them could win this race, and it wouldn't be surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be definitely interesting to see how it plays out. Um, going along with that, Ryan Blaney is below the cut line at minus one. Summer to Kyle Busch had a very rough day, ended up getting into the wall and crashing out. Um, you know, for as much momentum as they had coming in to the playoffs, this – and they had the second most playoff points, remember that, but this bad finish puts them below the cut line. But again, Martinsville, very good there, leads a lot of laps. The Penske cars are really good there. So if he wins, goes out and wins on Sunday, wouldn't be surprised by it. Yeah, either wins or, or points himself in. That, that wouldn't surprise me either. Like yeah. you said, he's that good at Martinsville. Yeah, and obviously all these guys are going to go in with the mindset that I have to win this race. But, you know, it's going to get late in the race, and based on playoff points and stuff like that, those scenarios are going to start to crop up. We're like, okay, you don't necessarily have to win the race, but as long as you finish in front of this guy or finish fifth or better, you should be fine. But I don't, I mean, not that they're going to worry about that. They're going to go out there and try to win the race regardless. Right. Just below Blaney is Martin Trex Jr. coming in at minus three. Now, Martin Trex Jr. did have problems on Sunday, um, had a tire issue that put him uh, a lap down, uh, but he was able to rebound and finish seventh. Solid finish, again, kind of similar to Denny Hamlin. I think they were expecting to have better speed at the mile and a half. Um, not again, again, not that, that matters to these last two races, but hey, who won it? Martinsville in the spring? Martin Trex Jr. Who's really good at 750 tracks? Martin Trex Jr. Who, despite having a mediocre playoffs for the most part, despite winning it at Richmond, could still be the champion in two weeks? Martin Trex Jr. Yeah. I mean, these these next two tracks set up well for him. Um, like you said, he won at Martinsville earlier this year. So, uh, I mean, he should run well this weekend. Yep. Below him is Brad Kozlowski at minus six. And Brad Kozlowski also had a pretty rough day on Sunday. He rebounded to finish 17th. Um, go to Martinsville as well. And I feel like we're just repeating ourselves here, but – go into the race with a winning mindset and you know you might be able to point your way in you might not be able to but i think it's it's win or bust mm -hmm. him joey logano who is still suffering from his uh blown motor last weekend going in at minus 26 there's on, honestly no way he could point himself in it's win or nothing for him yeah 
But I mean, we we've seen him do it. Like you said, we've seen him do it at Martinsville before, and and you know, remember a few years ago when he ended up winning the race and advanced and ended up winning the championship. So um, it wouldn't surprise me to see him leading laps and potentially moving some guys to to get back to the final four. And uh, having four Penske drivers below the cut line uh, is currently hurting my theory that I thought at least one of these guys will get into the final four. Now, again, one of them went on Sunday, um, but they've just been so consistent throughout these entire playoffs. This was really the first week where all three of them mm, didn't really have that great of runs. Yeah. Yeah. They had, they had issues from the start for, you know, for most of the weekend. Yeah. Um, you know, talking about the, you know, the no more mile and a half this season, this is also the final mile and a half, 550 race. This is actually the last 550 race of the Gen 6 era. So there were 50 Gen 6 550 races, excluding the super speedways and ran the 550 there. Um, I don't know, kind of an end of an era. I know we're still going to have 550 next year, but it's going to be drastically different with the next-gen car. I mean, what are your overall thoughts after three years of Gen 6 550 races? I mean, it had, it had its ups and downs. Um, it was there were times it produced amazing racing there were times it was a big snooze fest so it was the just the package never really was consistent enough um for my liking and you know maybe that's what makes it great I don't know but um yeah I mean we'll see what happens next year I felt like the I saw the potential in what they were trying to do and the potential the idea with this package was and I don't think it was ever to make it three and four wide every single lap like Talladega and Daytona. It was meant to keep the racing closer. Restarts were going to be crazy. And, you know, where the leader wasn't going to pull away and win by eight seconds or 12 seconds or anything like that. Right. Um, and, and there were certainly plenty of races that accomplished that. Um, it's just these arrow problems where, you know, like what happened at Kansas last year where Kevin Harvick clearly had a faster car and he couldn't get within – five feet of Joe Logano's bumper because he was playing with the air. Like, I hate to see these guys manipulating the air. I'd rather see them just race straight up. And every single race car is going to have air deficiencies. And there's probably going to be some with the next-gen car that we won't have any idea about until we actually see it race. Um, I just really hope that it provides the ability for faster cars to pass slower cars. Yeah. Where, okay, I'm half a second faster than you. I ran up on you on the straightaway and I passed you and it wasn't an issue. I didn't get stuck in your dirty air. I feel like if that is fixed, then this package is a whole lot better. And I go back to the 2019 all-star race where they manipulated, you know, the front splitter, um, they put the air ducts in the, in the hood of the car and it was a whole lot better. Passing was better. Racing was better. And again, it was a one race experiment, short, short run. So take that with a grain of salt. Um, but those are elements that they put in the next-gen car that, you know, hopefully fix those problems. Um, and, and NASCAR was kind of in a bit of a catch-22 because, again, the next-gen car was supposed to debut this year. We were supposed to be a full season in the next-gen car. The 550 package was only supposed to be a two-year holdover. And then you have this weird thing with COVID and a parts freeze where you're not wanting the team to spend any more money. So you knew things weren't going to change. And, you know, I don't think NASCAR brass, the, the executives, are completely tone-deaf what the fans are saying they know a lot of people don't like this package but they're kind of put in a tight spot it's like well this entire car is going to be obsolete in a year so we can't change everything right now like we have right. to kind of 
suffer through this until we get to the next gen car and hope it's better. Um, but overall, I, I just think the 550 package for the Gen 6 car, at least, is going to be looked at as, uh, you know, not a success overall. Yeah. Yeah. Which is unfortunate because um, you kind of hate to feel like you wasted three years of racing. But um, yeah. And, and that's kind of the le- and we can get into the legacy of the Gen 6 car once we run its final race at Phoenix. But I feel like that's kind of what the gen six era has been is chasing what's what's the best way to do this because mm-hmm. every single year we've it seems like we've manipulated something with aero packages with engines all this stuff like we just never seem to hit on the right thing or right in nascar's eyes we never hit on the right thing yeah i mean i think it's definitely going to be remembered as the car that always changed yeah um, you know constantly and if that if this car always changing means the next gen car is going to be the best car ever that great and i hope we yeah. look upon it that way but you know it's just kind of funny to, to say okay well we spent eight seasons nine seasons running the next gen car and we never could settle on what we wanted to do with it right so just kind of weird yeah uh, and again we can dive into we'll have an entire off season to talk about next gen six car the next gen car all that kind of stuff. We we can dedicate entire episodes to season rules packages if we want to. Mm-hmm. Um, there was other racing at Kansas on on over the weekend, and that was the Xfinity Series. And uh, I picked this. Ty Gibbs once again brings fifty four car back to victory lane. And you know we talk about these non playoff guys and how aggressively they should race playoff guys. Ty Gibbs threw caution to the wind, and he raced everybody super hard and end up winning the race yeah yeah i mean i i think that could come back i I mean he's still a young kid so and he's obviously in great equipment he's he's extremely talented driver Mm -hmm. but at the same point in time you got to realize who you're racing with yeah and i that's been like one of the only issues i've had with him like all year long is that sometimes he's just like whatever yeah but and and you know if there's any argument i guess he is still technically racing for the owner's championship in the 54 car so there is incentive for him to go out and win but man the the daring uh, moves he was putting on austin centric late in that race is like buddy if you wreck this guy you know that's probably yeah. yeah yeah and that's that's kind of my thing is like I, I mean i'm all for you know good race and whatever but like there were some moves he was making that i was just like you should probably not be doing this. Yeah. And I know he wouldn't win the race, and that's his goal. I mean, his goal is not to go out there and finish second. I get that. But you also got to race, you know, smartly around these around these guys. Yeah, and and with the likes of, uh, you know, Austin Sendrick and, and Justin Haley moving on to the, to the Cup Series next year full-time, is it weird to say that Ty Gibbs probably going to be the championship favorite going into 2022? I mean, potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and with the 54 car having won the past two races at, at Texas and Kansas, that means no playoff drivers are locked in as we head into Martinsville. Um, and for guys like Almendinger and uh, uh, Sinjic, who have a ridiculous amount of playoff points, they're actually both plus 47. That's not a full race, but it's like, all right, if you get yourself a couple stage points in, in the first stage, you're probably not going to – there's no way you're probably going to be out of this thing. So kind of similarly to Chase Elliott and, and Denny Hamlin going to Martinsville, 
don't get yourself in trouble, come away with yeah. not even a solid finish, just finish the race at this point and let the other guys fight to the death for the win. Um, yeah. But again, that goes back to just how good of a season these two guys have had where now they're not really in a much of a pressure situation going to the penultimate race. And obviously, you know, you need to focus on it, but you can kind of already put yourself into Phoenix at this point for both those guys. Yeah, I mean, it would have to be a catastrophic failure for either one of those two not to make it to Phoenix next week. Yeah. Um, there wasn't uh, – this race wasn't without its controversy because two playoff drivers ended up getting taken out relatively late in the race with Noah Gregson and Harrison Burton. Um, now, it wasn't those two guys getting together. It was Sam Mayer, teammate of Noah Gregson, that, depending on what side of the fence you're on, made contact with Harrison Burton Sent him up the track. Nasty lick, by the way. Him and Harry, him and Gregson hit that wall really hard. It put both those guys out of the race. Uh, Gregson is now minus 24. Burton is minus 51. You're not going to make up those points. you got to go into Martinsville and win, which both drivers have wins at Martinsville. Gregson in the truck series, Burton in the Xfinity series. Um, but certainly not how they wanted their day to go on Saturday at Kansas. No, and that's the thing. It's just another non-playoff driver affecting – the playoffs that I mean it was just it was a bad move by Mayer and he acknowledged it and it's just a it was unfortunate that it took out not only Harrison Burton but his teammate that's in the playoffs as well yeah so. and, and Sam Mayer was having a really good race on Saturday yeah. and you know he took over the eight car pretty much halfway through the season once he turned 18 and you know he's had his growing pains but it, it felt like he's steadily gotten better and this was by far his best run of the entire season but it gets completely overshadowed over – and, again, you can really pick apart the, the replay and, like, well, did he come up? Did Burton, you know, move on him? Like, it's certainly up for debate. But regardless, this is going to completely overshadow the good run the eight car had. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it makes for an interesting dynamic because him and Gregson are going to be full-time for JRM next year, fighting for the championships, like – you know, can these guys get along? And I thought it was pretty telling when Gregson was giving his interview in the uh, outside the care center, you know, when, when Mayor gets loose off turn four, oh, there he goes again. Like, yeah. there's clearly some animosity between these two guys. Yeah. So, interesting to see how that plays out. Um, yeah. As, as you, it, see, you know, Gregson's got – got one more race to get it done and, and then obviously we'll have another chance to go for it next year, but – yeah, his comments weren't too um, too hardy for uh, Mayer. Yeah, and for Harrison Burton, this feels like one of the races where he legitimately maybe had the speed to actually win and gets taken out. Yeah, um, it's been that season. And I did mention this a moment ago. He's also going to be one of the guys moving up to the Cup Series next year, driving with the Wood Brothers. So that's three guys in this final eight that aren't going to be in the series next year which kind of opens the door again for maybe a guy like Ty Gibbs to be the championship favorite. Mm-hmm. So as it stands, Hemrick is currently seven above the cut line, Haley seven below, and then you have Gregson minus 25, Jones minus 40, uh, Burton minus 51. And similarly to the Cup Series a little bit, only one guy is going to lock themselves in on the win. So three guys are going to get in on points. But again, Almendinger and Sendrick, pretty comfortable. So it really is kind of, you know, one guy getting in based off points out of these other six guys below and maybe one guy getting in a win. Maybe none of them get in a win. I don't know. Um, but it's certainly going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yeah. 
something else. Uh, you, have you forgotten that the Truck Series exists? I know it's been a long time since they've raced, but they're finally returning on it's Friday. It's been a Yeah, it's been a minute. Um, if you uh, need to get up to speed on what's going on with them, you have John Hernemachek, Ben Rhodes, Ben Crafton, and Sheldon Creed currently above the cut line. And then you have Stuart Friesen, Chandler Smith, Carson Osoar, and Zane Smith all below the cut line. And for Smith, Hosovar, and uh, the other Smith, Zane Smith, they're all substantially far back to where they have to go into this race thinking win or nothing. Yeah. So um, I hate how the truck series schedule is because they are so ridiculously far spaced out to where, again, I had to just look that up to remind myself what's going on in the truck series playoffs because they haven't raced since Talladega. Yeah, it's been literally a month. Uh, some news to get to, and there wasn't uh, the Cup Series wasn't the only racing going on in America on Sunday. The U.S. Grand Prix for the Indy for IndyCar F1 was at a Circuit of the Americas, and they pulled in a substantial crowd. I think I heard that the total figure for the weekend was about four hundred thousand people. Um, they were jam packed on Saturday watching qualifying. They were jam packed again on uh, Sunday watching the race. I know you don't follow F1 super closely. Synopsis of the race, Max Verstappen holds off. Lewis Hamilton gets another win, extends his points lead in a very good points series battle. Um, but the narrative on Sunday and Monday surrounding this was, man, F1 really showed up NASCAR on their home turf. And the ratings don't necessarily reflect that, but I do think NASCAR should pay attention to the reception that F1 did get on Sunday. Yeah. I see it. I see it a couple different ways. I mean, again, I, like you said, I'm I'm not a big F1 fan. I I know enough about it. To, I know the players and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. uh, for me, I get like I but seeing seeing the crowd there that this past weekend was awesome. Yeah. I mean, you know that it's just it's cool. I, you know, you want to you know. Time, what they hadn't been here since 2019. Yes. So it's like it, you know they race 30, 38 times a year mm-hmm. in the states. So I, I feel like you're comparing apples to oranges a little bit. That's in, you know, and one of the things too was it was ABC versus NBCSN. Um, you know, the and for my things like why can't both just be successful? I all day Sunday, all I read on Twitter was oh, who's going to win the ratings battle between F1 and NASCAR? And it's like, you know, F1 had the huge crowd, but NASCAR got the last lap with the ratings. Which one do you want? I mean, I don't know. I don't, from a, from a business standpoint, I feel like the ratings on television are what drives things. But, you know, even you pointed out before we started recording this, the Xfinity race had more fan, more viewership than, than the F1 race. Does that mean F1 was, was bad? No, it's just, I don't know. I think sometimes we get caught up in, and again, I know that money drives everything in this sport and, and having big ratings boosts and stuff like that. And it was a huge boost from 2019 yeah. uh, for one, but I think just think comparing apples to oranges, just enjoy both of them. And I hated that they were at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. That was a really bad decision. And again, Obviously, NASCAR is the bigger deal, but I think NASCAR would have benefited itself from either starting their race earlier or starting the race later to where you're yeah. not going head-to-head with um, F1 because there were certainly a lot of people that were watching the F1 race over NASCAR because they were on at the same time. So NASCAR could have given itself an even better rating if you're not 
competing with head to head. Um, and right. NASCAR doesn't isn't in control of what rate what channel the race gets puts on gets put on. That is up to NBC. Um, but it's so weird because look, the network is going away. We don't know when it's going away. We know it's not going to be here next year. But it's like okay, you're in the playoffs now. You have this important race going head to head with F1. Why not put it on NBC? Why why are you st- what are you building with the network now that it's going to be gone sooner rather than later? There's nothing to build on put all the races on NBC. They put figure skating on big NBC on Sunday. And I can guarantee you that did not pull in millions of viewers. You know, that's what, that's what I don't understand. Like, I don't know if like they have a contract with the international figure skating. I, I don't yeah. know. Um, but like, for me, like, I, and I've thought this for past several years, but like, why are the playoff races? Like I can understand putting a, a Dover in the middle of the summer on NBCSN. I get it. I'm cool with it. Sure. But like, why are all playoff races not on NBC? I don't know. Like, I, I don't understand that. I mean, from, and that's the thing is like, it's not even like you're compete. I mean, on Sundays, it's not like NFL, it's not like you have the NFL. Yeah. NFL doesn't go on until Sunday night. Yep. And maybe, maybe that's one of the things that they're, they're afraid of is, by putting it on there, well, what if it rains? Then move it to NBCSN. I, I mean, you I have, think, have that backup if you need. Yeah, give yourself the opportunity to put it on big NBC. Yeah, and, and and you mentioned Sunday night football. They start, you know, their coverage at seven o'clock football night in America. And with how late these start times are, you know, three o'clock, three thirty, and stuff like that, you have the perfect opportunity to go from NASCAR right into football on Sunday nights where you can maybe catch some of those people that tune in a few minutes early that catch the last couple laps or like that. Like that's how you build an audience. Like, okay, this football fan that has no interest in NASCAR may watch five laps at Kansas to see something cool to make them tune in the next week. I don't know, but it's at least worth trying, right? Yeah. You got to at least try it. Um, There were some comments from some drivers of the weekend kind of related to this conversation about F1 versus NASCAR. I thought they brought up some really good points because F1, look, the racing itself is nothing special. The cars are cool. You know, the drivers are daring, but you're probably going to see the pass for the win happen on the first lap or in the pits. Like the side-by-side action isn't really there for the F1 and it's never been there. It's built, it's built off strategy and that kind of stuff. Um, But what F1 does a really good job of is making their races events. So, right. yes, you have the race, but you have concerts and you have pre-race stuff. Daniel Ricciardo drove Dale Earnhardt's 1984 car in pre-race. You know, they, they had all this stuff surrounding the race, which brings people to the track. You know, I'm sure there are a lot of people there that maybe weren't the biggest F1 fans, but, hey, I can go see a concert. I can go see this cool thing. You know, there's a carnival outside the track. I can go to that. And NASCAR was so good about that for so long. I remember back to when I was a kid. 15, 20 years ago, going to races, the midway where you had the souvenir trailers and you had all these displays like that was as fun a part of going to a race as the actual race was because you could, you know, drive simulators and you could get free stuff. You could meet drivers and, you know, th- there was just so much going on outside the racetrack before you even went in for the race. That brought a lot of people there. And I go back to when I went to the Atlanta Cup race, the Atlanta weekend a couple weeks ago. They had the souvenir trailers, which is great, but that was kind of it. 
I mean, yeah. things you take pictures with and stuff like that, but nobody was handing out free stuff. You know, they had a few drivers out there on like the stage, you know, taking questions and stuff like that, but it's not nearly what it used to be. And I think when you look at the decline NASCAR has had and with it now, you know, we've kind of agreed that it's hit the bottom and it's building itself back up and slowly. I think if you make the at track experience better for the fans, that's what's going to bring people back to the racetrack is giving them a reason besides the race to be there, have concerts, have, you know, put a carnival in the parking lot. I don't know, but, but give people a reason other than the race to be there. And that's how you bring more people in the door. Yeah. I mean, you've got to turn it into an event. You can't just have it be a race. Yeah. Um, and especially now with what we've been doing for the past year and a half, no practice and qualifying, you literally show up to watch the race. Like, okay, I'm coming to the racetrack. I'm going to get a two hour Xfinity series race, no cup qualifying, no practice, nothing like that. Like it's no longer this all day event that it used to be. Um, and again, we're going to get back to practice and qualifying next year to some degree. They better be really smart about how they place this. Like, okay, you know, don't just, you know, do you do it on Friday where, you know, you have everything on Friday and then the Xfinity series is still the only thing on Saturday. Do you make Saturday the big day where practice and qualifying and all this stuff all happen? I don't know, but they better think about this. Yeah. So, um, but again, I, I like what you said a minute ago. Why can't all these sports be successful? You know, I want F1 to be good. I want F1 to be a big deal in America. I want NASCAR to be a big deal in America. And I don't think, they have to butt heads to do that. I think they can learn. Well, NASCAR can learn more from F1 than F1 can learn from NASCAR, but you can learn from the other one on how to be better. Right. Some other news. This happened yesterday. Uh, they took the the next gen car to Bowman Gray Stadium, and I give hats off to NASCAR because this was a really good idea. They let Tony Stewart, Dale Earnhardt Jr., and Clint Boyer test drive this car for the tire test at Bowman Gray, which is the essentially a mock run for the LA Coliseum coming up in February. But that, that was something I was worried about with the next gen car being that Clint Boyer and Dan Hart Jr. Both recently retired, weren't going to have any experience in this car whatsoever. So when they're up there in the booth talking about the car doing this, the car doing that, they're going to be kind of winging it because they're not going to know what they're talking about. NASCAR's letting them run this next gen test at Bowman Gray Dale Jr. said he wants to run next-gen tests at other tracks, some of the bigger tracks. Like, this is a really good idea because now your guys in the booth are going to know exactly what they're talking about with this next-gen car um, when we're watching a race next year. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's just – it's a plus it's just cool to see them all back in the car as well. Absolutely. Um, and at Bowman Gray, that place looked awesome. Well, and also, uh, you know – these guys are veterans. They've raced so many. All these guys were racing the Gen 4 car way back in the day. They raced COT. They raced the Gen 6 car. Like, they have so much experience and knowledge of what good racing is and what tires need to be, especially Tony Stewart. Nobody hated Goodyear more than Tony Stewart. So if you want honest feedback on a tire, Tony Stewart's going to give it to you. So you yeah. have these guys that, again, and Tony Stewart, yeah, yeah, skin in the game because he owns a team. But these guys aren't on the racetrack. Like, they're not going to tell you something that, oh, well, I didn't like this, I didn't like that, because it gives me an advantage. Like, they're going to tell you their honest thoughts because it doesn't benefit them one way or the other. Right, right. So, I think that's a smart thing to do. Yeah. So, um, 
But yeah, it is, it is cool seeing cars back at Bowman Gray, or at least like a national series back at Bowman Gray. Um, I said this for a long time. I think the truck series needs to go back to running these type of short tracks as the majority of their schedule run Bowman Gray, you know, run Kern County out in California, run some of these short tracks that like the K&M series runs, because that's what the roots of the truck series is. You know, talk about being cost effective. That'd be very cost effective for the teams. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's a pipe dream, but it was cool to see NASCAR put something on the track at Bowman Gray again. Yeah. All right, with that, we head to Martinsville for the penultimate race of all three series. Had the trucks on Friday night, the Xfinity Series on Saturday, and the Cup Series on Sunday. And uh, this time next week, we'll know who our 12 championship eligible drivers are. Yeah. So start off with the Truck Series on Friday night. Again, no drivers locked in the championship for as of right now. John Hernimacek has a huge advantage. Um, very good at Martinsville. He's won there before. Who gets the win on Friday night? I think it's going to be his teammate. I think Chandler Smith, we saw what he did at Bristol a long time ago, early in the playoffs. Um, but I, I think that he's, you know, his ability to run these short tracks has, um, has gotten better with time. So I think that, and he's in a must-win situation. So I think Chandler's going to, I don't think he's going to hold back at all. And I think he'll be able to get to the front and lead him to the checker flag. That's a good pick there. Um, I'm going to go with Matt Crafton, one of Martinsville before, obviously a crafty veteran. Um, let's see what I did there, crafty Crafton. Um, he's 10 points above the cut line, so he's certainly not in a comfortable position points-wise. I think he has to go into this mind, he has to go into this season or in this race thinking I got to win. Um, and despite not winning a race this year, it's been a very good and consistent year for him, kind of similar to how 2019 was, where he won the championship without winning the race, without winning a race. Um, so I'm going to go with Crafton on Friday night. Gotcha. Xfinity Series on Saturday again. Cindric and Albedinger are pretty much locked into Phoenix, barring some kind of disaster on the first lap or something like that. we got six guys going to be vying for the win here. Um, who, who you got? Yeah, I mean, I think it's definitely going to be one of the playoff drivers to get the time, but I'm going to roll with Allgaier. Okay. I'm going to stick with his teammate. I'm going to go with Noah Gregson. Talk about being aggressive. Martinsville's an aggressive racetrack. Gregson's won at Martinsville before in the truck series. Um, I think he locks himself into the final four. Yep. Now we go to the cup series on Sunday. Uh, Larson, the only guy locked into the final four right now. Again, all these guys are ridiculously good at Martinsville and they could go out there and win this race. How do you pick? I'm going to roll with Martin Truex Jr. I mean, obviously he won there earlier this year. You know, they, they, they need, they don't have to win. Um, obviously it'd be nice to, um, but I'm just – I think that they're going to right the ship and, and make it into Phoenix next week. This is a 500-lap race. I think patience and consistency is going to matter a lot. One of the most patient and consistent drivers in NASCAR, especially during the playoffs this year, has been Brad Keselowski, very good at Martinsville. Um, I'm going to stick with my guns that I think one of these Penske guys is going to make his way into the Final Four, and I think it's going to be Keselowski. Yeah. Should be fun. Should be. Can't wait. Going to be exciting. And then uh, off to Phoenix to decide our champion. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for another episode of the Speed Podcast. For Dalton Molinex, I'm Tyler Head. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time.